Welcome to the Salty and Bright podcast, a show about how we can better live as God's salt and light today. Today, I'm glad to have Roberto, aka Rob, Quintanilla on the podcast. Rob was born in Sydney as the son of two Chilean Christians, Phil and Eliana, and grew up attending the Campbelltown Church of Christ. In 1991, Rob and his family moved back to Chile, where Rob stayed for the next decade before coming back to Australia at age 22. Despite being baptised as a teenager, Rob slowly neglected his faith until a series of significant events led him to reassess his relationship with God and eventually study theology at the Macquarie School of Biblical Studies. Rob now works as a full-time preacher and evangelist, ministering to churches around Victoria, but primarily worships with the small but diverse Western Melbourne Church of Christ, based in Caroline Springs here in Melbourne. So to kick off our conversation on the theme of evangelism, Rob, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your own journey of coming to know Christ and his church? Well, about me. Well, my name is Roberto Carlos Quintanilla Gonzalez. And I grew up in the Church of Christ, third generation Christian. Uh, both my grandparents on my mom's side are Christian and my grandfather on my dad's side was also a Christian. Going to church was definitely a typical thing we did every Sunday. Yeah, so at the age of 13, my parents decided to move, sell their house in, in Sydney and move back to Chile. And it was somewhat of a, well, it was a great unknown for my sister and I. And uh, it was an adventure. It was a challenge. We were looking forward to it. Both my parents come from big families. So just to get to know my grandparents, three of the four grandparents that were still alive at the time and all my cousins uh, and uncles and aunts, something was really exciting. It was really exciting. And uh, we went back there and it was a huge culture shock, especially church. Before we left Sydney, we were members of the Southwest Church of Christ in Campbelltown. And uh, we really enjoyed going to church because of so many people our age. And, uh, and then we get to Chile and there's no one our age. The average age in the congregation was probably like 60 at the time. So that was a culture shock, but we kept at it. We kept at it. Um, one thing uh, my father especially really, really instilled in us was go to church on Sundays. God does so much for us every single day that the least we can do is worship him on Sunday. So regardless of what I did Saturday night, whether it was hanging out with my friends, going to a party or whatever it may be, I knew I had to go to church on Sunday. And uh, that was just natural. Yeah, and then in 1994, I was 17, so you can do the math. My grandfather passed away. He's my mom's dad. And so that was the first experience of death that I had to deal with in life. A couple months later, I heard a sermon on hell, on hell, and I decided to get baptized that day. Uh, I don't know if I got baptized out of fear, but I knew the whole he believe, repent, confess, be baptized. I knew that. And so I got baptized. Uh, my parents weren't expecting it. It wasn't something I had discussed. My sister was upset with me because she wasn't at church that Sunday. She had to work. And my parents were totally shocked and uh, my dad baptized me in a, in a bathtub because we were in a house church and I barely fit. Uh, but I, I, was, I was immersed into Christ at 17. And like any newborn, 
Christian at first I was I felt like I was on fire and then you kind of get into a routine and that fire kind of dwindles a bit at the age of 22 I decided to move back to Australia my parents stayed in Chile my, my sister as well I started going to church when I was back in Sydney uh, and I made an effort to go but that's gradually stopped I thought to myself oh it's okay if I don't go I'll have some bread and some grape juice at home and I'll have the Lord's Supper on my own. And that's dangerous. At first you think you're doing a, a good thing, but that's not communion. Communion is, now I know, is sharing, proclaiming with other Christians the death of Christ. And that's why we have the bread and grape juice, to proclaim that we believe in the death of Christ and everything that entails. So I was fooling myself thinking, it's okay to do it on my own because I had other things to do. And even though I was baptized at 17, I feel like my real conversion happened later in life. I had stopped going to church. I never stopped believing. I knew I was doing the wrong thing by not going and the lifestyle I was living. And I started dating a Muslim girl. And then after a couple months of dating, somehow we got onto the subject of religion as you can see, it wasn't something I was talking about. And she told me that she had started speaking to a friend of hers at work about Christianity and that she was going to go to, I think it was the Salvation Army Church that coming Sunday. And I said to her, why don't you ask me about Christianity? And she goes, why would I do that? And I said to her, because I'm a Christian. She says, you're a Christian? <laughs> Which kind of showed me how worldly I was that even the girl I had been dating for a couple months could not see a hint of Christianity in me. So that was a wake-up call. But Faith, you know me, I'm pretty hard-headed. I needed another wake-up call in life. A couple months later, I went out with my cousin up in Sydney. We went out to a club and during, I think it was like midnight, the police raided this nightclub to see if they can catch people with drugs. That was something I never got into. So uh, I was fine with that. But on the way out of this nightclub, Channel 7 News interviewed me. And they asked me what the police did. And of course, I embellished the story a bit, uh, what they were doing. That happened on a Saturday night. And then a couple of weeks later, I go to church uh, down at Campbelltown at Southwest Sydney. And um, a young girl, she saw me arriving at church. And she said to me, I saw you on TV. You got arrested for drugs. I go, no, I did not get arrested. I just got interviewed. And I left it at that. And then I thought to myself on the train ride home, Rob, what example are you giving younger kids in the church, young Christians, that they think you're involved in drugs? And ever since then, I gave up that lifestyle. I was still dating this Muslim girl and trying to convince her about Christianity. And I realized I don't know enough Bible. I was attending the Eastside Church of Christ in, in Sydney, and I was having Bible studies with one of their ministers who's passed away. His name was Ron Wallace. But it wasn't until uh, the minister at Eastside, Vic Tickner, who's South African, he's back in South Africa, and whose son is actually Peter Tickner, uh, he said, why don't you study where Peter studied? Macquarie School of Biblical Studies at the Macquarie Church of Christ. I had no intention of getting into full-time ministry or becoming a full-time preacher. I just really wanted to study the Bible because I was just 
really annoyed with myself that I didn't know enough Bible answers. And I still don't. That's why I keep studying. My ministry, my work enables me to go to pretty much every congregation within our brotherhood of Churches of Christ in Victoria. And sometimes I sneak over the border into Aubrey and I preach, I teach, I, I try to encourage as much as I'm encouraged and just do a lot of Bible studies, a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching, um, but mostly just getting around and visit with as many Christians as possible from different congregations. So that's, that's my job in a nutshell. Maybe just following on from that, Rob, you know, you've committed your life to this ministry. So could you explain what evangelism looks like and means to you? Evangelism is your lifestyle. If you profess to love Christ, if you profess to be a Christian, your lifestyle should reflect that. When I first got out of Bible school uh, at Macquarie, I went back into secular work. I was working for a mobile phone company, you know, just doing telesales and customer service and all that. And then one day, our computer systems, I remember this, they all went dead. We got to chatting, and I was fairly new at this job, like three months or so. And um, one, one of the girls I was working with asked me, what did I do before? And I told her, I just finished Bible school, and uh, I'm a preacher, or trying to be a preacher. And she goes, I oh, so you're really into religion and Christianity. And I go, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's part of my life now. And she said to me, and I remember this, oh, no wonder you're, you're that way. And I'm like, um, what way do you mean? And she says, well, you don't swear like the rest of us. You don't cheat or lie in your job. And I'm like, thanks. I appreciate that. Obviously, the glory goes to, to Jesus because he's one that's working on my life and changing me. And I told her why I don't do those things. She probably thought I was a religious nut or something, but that's okay. It's, it's amazing how if you're living out your faith, you're living the way we're supposed to live as God's children, it does catch people's attention. And that's the best form of evangelism. Rob, I'm keen to dive a bit deeper into your point about different approaches to evangelism. Like you said, at that phone company where you worked, you were more just evangelizing through your lifestyle and how you treated others. Whereas now it sounds like you're much more intentional and informed in how you approach it. So what led you to make that shift from that more kind of quiet and understated form of evangelism to your more active approach now? As an evangelist, as a preacher, this happened to me once. I sat down at a dinner table, it was like probably 15 people, and the people sitting across me, uh, I didn't know them. So obviously I introduced myself. Uh, they introduced themselves. So I asked them, what do you do for a living? They told me, and then they asked me what I did for a living. And I'd say, I'm a gospel preacher. Bam, that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> they, they started, they actually moved <laughs> seats. And I'm like, okay, uh, maybe that's not the best approach. But... That's me sharing my faith, sharing what I do. Another way is just taking advantage of little opportunities, little cracks in doors that people might open. I remember once, uh, some years ago, I was buying hot cross buns at Baker's Delight. The girl who sold me the, the hot cross buns, she handed me the bag and said, Happy Easter. Yeah, nice and friendly. And I actually said to her, do you know what? I celebrate Easter, and I did the you know quotation marks with my fingers, I celebrate Easter every Sunday. 
And she looked at me confused. And I looked at her and I said, that caught your attention, didn't it? She goes, yeah, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And I said, do you have a couple minutes? And I said, what I mean by that is every Sunday with other Christians, we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what the world calls Easter. And as a church, we follow the New Testament pattern of doing that on the first day of the week. And she goes, my church doesn't do that. I go, is it something you want to look into? She goes, no, I'm all right. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> it, was an, it was an opportunity. I shared my faith. I told her why I do what I do. Did it work out? No. <laughs> but those little opportunities, you just don't know who might say yes. You know, to me, that story sounds quite intimidating. And I tend to fall back on that idea that if I live in a different way, then maybe people will ask me instead of, you know, actively seeking out these opportunities. So Rob, I was wondering if you could talk about what you think are the main obstacles to Christians taking those opportunities to share the gospel. First thing is, is fear. I believe that's the number one reason why we tend to shrink back. And believe me, Faith, I was exactly like that as well. Like I said, I was baptized at 17. I was in year 12 at the time. And I'd say only one of my classmates knew that I'd become a Christian. There's a stage in life where you don't want to be ostracized. You don't want to be made fun of. You, you don't want to be ridiculed. So you try to blend in. But with time and through the, the, the knocks of life, I don't care <laughs> if people ridicule me or, or make fun of me anymore because of my faith. What I have is good news and it's urgent news. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of conviction as well. And all those things help build you to get to a point where you're confident about sharing your faith. Obviously, the more you study, the more you can uh, pick up what's religious error and what's not. You know? And also be honest, be frank. Because ultimately, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you do care. I can quote all the Bible, but if I don't have love, I'm just a clanging symbol. So f definitely fear, but another thing is, is complacency. Maybe we don't have a sense of urgency of sharing the gospel, you know, thinking um, oh, it's going to be okay. You know, Jesus isn't coming back yet, but he could. <laughs> he could. He could be back today. And one thing that really resonates in my mind all the time is out of all my loved ones, my family, my relatives who aren't Christians, will they turn to me on judgment day and ask me, Rob, why didn't you ever tell me? And that, that keeps me motivated. Look for those opportunities to share the gospel. I don't have to set up Bible studies. You know, I would like to. But if I just share that gospel message, that plant that seed, then it's up to God to give the growth. It's not like that I've always had this mentality. I've developed this mentality over time. And it started back to those times when I just didn't know enough Bible. And the more I discovered, the more I wanted to share it because we're talking about eternity. And that's, that's a mighty long time. Rob, could you just expand upon that a bit? So the element of care in evangelism. You know, you've talked about being courageous in seeking out opportunities to share the gospel. 
But do you have any more thoughts about the role that caring for people plays in evangelism? Well, you've got to be genuine. Sometimes just simply asking their name and then the next time you see them, you, you remember their name. Yeah, little things like that. If they tell you what they do for a living, remember those things. Uh, if they have family, ask them about their, their family, their kids and things like that. Then they will know, oh, this person remembers. So they must care. And when it comes to evangelism, it's, it's not about, oh, would you like to have a Bible study straight off the bat? It's all about getting to know people, getting to meet them where they are, see if you can help them in any way. And you got to be careful with this approach as well because, and I've experienced this, I've met people like this who are just interested in seeing what they can get out of you or the church. So you got to be careful, you got to be wise, you got to be sharp on that front. But even if it's something simple, well, it's not simple, but it may come across as, simple, as telling them, I'm going to pray for you. And then next time you see them, ask them how that thing you prayed about is coming along. You know, whether it could be a sickness or someone struggling to find work or anything like that. But you've got to show genuineness because um, if not, people will see right through that. People will think, oh, you just want to recruit me to your church. You're just all about the numbers and things like that. No, you've got to show genuine concern, genuine interest, genuine love. That was Jesus' approach. And as successful as Jesus was, uh, not everyone followed him. I've learned that. Not everyone's going to follow Jesus. But as long as I've done what God has asked me to do, I have a clear conscience. And Rob, how, how do you think we do on those two fronts of caring genuinely for people and also sticking with them when they're seeking God? Good and bad. <laughs> Good and bad. I heard a, a saying that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I don't know if those numbers are accurate or not, but it's you can see it. You can see that there are far too uh, many onlookers and not enough doers. But those who are doing it, I'm not saying they're, they're doing a bad job, they're doing a great job, but we just need to encourage others to do it as well. You know, So that's why I say it's good and bad. But those who don't, do enough of and each person knows if it applies to them or not they can join in you know we're going to encourage them to get involved whether it's visiting people or calling up people texting people there's so many ways to do it i always think how much would the apostle paul how much more he would have written or gotten accomplished if he had whatsapp or the internet or anything like that tools that we have and yet we don't take advantage of them so can we do better? Always. How we do it, that's up to each, each person in what they're comfortable with. Is it good to try to get out of your comfort zone, try something new? Absolutely, try it. Maybe as a teenager, maybe texting is the thing. Use whatever method you can, but just do it. What can we do to get these people involved? Oh, man, that's, I wish I knew the answer to that because I'd be doing it. But what I try to do is... Uh, I encourage people to try different things. In the Western Melbourne Church, which is we meet Sunday evenings, we're all immigrants in that congregation, and no one speaks really clear, great English because they're all, we're all immigrants. So there's that fear factor of leading a prayer or doing a Lord's Supper talk, leading songs or something. But I, I keep nudging them. Just this last Sunday, our, our newest brother in the faith, Gilberto, he did his first Lord's Supper talk. 
you know, he got baptized six months ago, I believe it was, six, seven months ago. And over the last few times I'd caught up with him and I said, so what does the, the death of Jesus mean to you? Just in conversation. He, he, he'd think I'd be testing him on it, but it was just simple conversation. And last week, again, I asked him last Friday the same question and he talked about it. And I said, there's your Lord's Supper talk. We've got to keep teaching. We've got to get them involved in, in Bible studies. We've got to get new Christians involved in ministry, different ministries. Even something like um, Socks and Jocks that you guys have at Belmore Road. You can get a new Christian involved in, in that. And they'll feel a part of something. You know, We all want to be involved in, in something. And what better place to be involved than in, in God's church, in God's kingdom? I heard a preacher, a good friend of mine, say you've heard the saying you can you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink and he actually flipped it and he said we have to make the horse thirsty if you know what i mean by that you've got to make the horse thirsty so they will want to go and drink so in other words we've got to get people interested in ministries in bible studies so they will come and be involved you can't force people you can't force them So, Rob, I'm going to shift direction in our conversation a bit to talk about the world that we're in right now. You know, it's increasingly secular and politically correct. So I was wondering if you have any thoughts on whether you think we need to change how we evangelize or not. Mm, I don't know if change is a word I'd use, um, but one thing is uh, we definitely have to do it. (laughs) We definitely have to do it. The world has always been worldly. I can't imagine how bad things were in the time of Noah that God said, that's enough. They're all dead. See, God hasn't reached that point today. So maybe we're not as bad. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, How bad was Sodom and Gomorrah for God to burn them to a crisp? He had enough. That's it. Same with Nineveh. I I thank God that we're not at that stage yet. (laughs) God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. You know, we read that in the, in the New Testament. And so no matter how worldly this world is or how secular it is, we still got a job to do. In the past, God spoke and people heard his voice. And we see that at Mount Sinai when Israel got the law. Uh, God sent prophets who could do miraculous signs on some occasions. God sent angels. On one occasion, he even spoke through a donkey, if you remember that story of Balaam. But the greatest story ever told is up to you and me to share. Why doesn't God speak from heaven today? Why doesn't he send angels to share a message and and if they don't repent, destroy cities? I I can't answer that. But one thing we do know is that he's entrusted this message to you and I, Faith, and everyone else who's listening. And that's a great responsibility, but it's also a great joy. It's wonderful uh, to share that message and see how, especially when people respond to that message. Whenever I study with someone and uh, who's a non-Christian and they decide to become a Christian, ooh, girl, I am such on a high. <laughs> I, am, I can be on a high for months. I just feel that joy uh, on behalf of God that he, he's rescued another soul. When I study with people, like most recently, Gilberto and Kelly, who arrived from Brazil the week before Melbourne went into lockdown. So almost two years now they've been in Melbourne. They're from other religious uh, groups, 
but because of their relationship with with Christians, Felipe and Taylana, uh, they got to know the churches of Christ and uh, what we believe. And uh, I started studying with them, and it, and it took a while, took like uh, a few months. And even though they knew some biblical concepts, just seeing in them their reaction, it's like that light bulb moment that it just clicks. I remember the date, 11th of July, they got baptized at Williamstown Beach. It was freezing cold. <laughs> it was windy, but they were determined. They're, they're all momentous highs that I, I feel. And I, like I said, I can't wait for the next one. I'm looking for the next one. So yeah, that, that definitely is my motivation. So my last question, Rob, about our theme of evangelism is whether you'd have any other advice specifically for younger Christians who are really wanting to either evangelize more often or to be more courageous in how they approach sharing the gospel. Definitely don't do what I did. Uh, And I'm sad to say this, but it's true. I was a Sunday morning Christian. Don't do that. Uh, If you've become a Christian, if you made that commitment to Christ, live it out. Share your faith when you get the opportunity. Don't pest people about it. Don't Bible bash people. That doesn't get you anywhere. But stand up for what you believe. Just make it very clear why you don't do those things. We've got to remember that God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness or timidity. Be brave. Be strong in your convictions. And God will get you through it. There's no doubt about that. What's the worst that can happen? They make fun of you. They stop considering you their friend. It's not like they're going to stone you or something worse, you know. So we're not in that kind of world anymore, thanks to God. In some countries that might, but not in Melbourne, not in Australia. So what do we have to be afraid of? That brings us to the end of our, you know, official interview on evangelism, Rob. But I'm keen to ask you five more questions in a kind of rapid round. So the first rapid question I have for you, Rob, is what is your favorite Bible verse and why? It depends on my mood. It depends on my mood. But one I always go back to, especially in times of uh, weakness or struggles, is Psalm 121, the first few verses. It talks about, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord God. Who, you know, It talks about how he never... He doesn't sleep, he does not slumber, and he always look out for you. But the reason that verse sticks out to me is because in Chile, where, my, where I lived in Santiago, um, my parents' house, I would open up the curtains of my house and I would see snow-capped mountains all year round. When I talk mountains, these are, these are, these are not like Mount Kosciuszko. That for us is a hill. Okay? These are like four or 5,000 meter high mountains. you know. And I look at them and I go, man, God did that. If he's got the strength to do that, I know he's got the strength to get me through whatever I'm going through. Second question, Rob, is who is your Bible hero and why? It, it all depends uh, on, again, where I'm at, uh, what I'm going through. Definitely Jesus, uh, but other ones I can relate to. I did a series of studies on Judges last year and uh, spent a lot of time on Samson. And boy, did he make a lot of mistakes but God still used him. Uh, when I was younger in my ministry, Timothy is a typical one. Paul treated him like a, a, a son, so I related to him. But 
Yeah, I, I would say Samson and Timothy. The next rapid question is, when or where do you feel closest to God? One of them is when I'm singing with Christians. We've got to get rid of Zoom for worship sooner rather than better later because when you're singing in community and you're singing to God and to each other, nothing gets me more pumped up than a really passionate, heartfelt song that the whole congregation sings right before I get up to preach. Like The beautiful thing about singing is God tells us to sing to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? The beautiful thing is he doesn't say sing well. You get that as long as you sing. That that's that's me. I sing. Don't sing well, but I sing. Yeah. Well, I think singing with other Christians is when I feel really close to God. Fourth question, Rob, is what is an ordinary moment that fills you with gratitude? Waking up every day. Just waking up, seeing a new day, seeing what God has in store for me. How is he going to use me? What opportunities is he going to present me? Those are my thoughts every single day. Those are moments of gratitude. And last rapid question is, what is one lesson you think God is still trying to teach you? One thing I'm always scared of is if in my teaching or my preaching, do I come across as arrogant? I hope I come across as confident but not confident in me, but confident in the word and comfort and my confidence is in Christ, but not arrogant. So I think God definitely is teaching me, continuously teaching me humility. And I hope I'm paying attention. I don't know about you, but I thought Rob's passion for Christ and sharing the gospel came through loud and clear, especially thanks to his deep DJ style voice. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of our second series on evangelism. As always, feel free to send any feedback about the podcast to saltyandbrightpod at gmail.com and keep an eye out for the next episode coming soon. But until then, stay salty and bright.